Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning, everybody. This is Real Presence Live. Steve Slonskowski here along with... Brandon Clark. And we're going to be here on this journey this morning. So thank you for joining us. We're going to be here until 11 o'clock, and you're not going to want to go anywhere. we got a theme this first hour of sacred art. And we're going to talk a little about that a little bit. But first, we want to start with a prayer. So join us in a prayer as we start with the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful. And kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Dear Lord, we come today before you. We ask you to fill this space with your spirit. Give us his wisdom, his counsel, his understanding. Give us piety and fear of you as we stand before you in awe. In these great works that we'll discuss. Great art. Great beauty, Lord. Help us to understand you and see how they reflect you, how we as your creators, your creation, can stand as a reflection in your likeness before the world. Mary, Mother, we ask you to be with us this hour as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, folks, thanks for being with us again. This is Real Presence Live. And uh, this first hour, we're going to have a roundtable discussion. So there's going to be, you're going to hear a bunch of different voices, and we're going to try to manage that as well as we can so you can see the conversation around the table with me. I'm standing at the top of the table here, and to my right is Brandon Clark. Right next to him is Mary Hanbury. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for being here with us this morning. You're welcome. And Mary, you are? I am the Director of Catechesis for the Diocese of Fargo. All right. And then right next to, to looking straight across the table from me is Patrick McGuire. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm the Director of Choral Activities at Shanley High School in Sullivan Middle School here in Fargo. And uh, work over at St. San Joachim. I'll become the full-time Director of Music there starting in June. Awesome. Thank you for being with us this morning. And then to my left is Dr. Hirschberger. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. And you are? I'm Director of Music at uh, St. Mary's Cathedral, and I'm also Professor of Piano at Concordia College in Moorhead. And today, folks, we're going to talk about sacred art. Now you're thinking, oh, sacred art, that includes not just art, art from the eye, but music, right? Because these are beauty. These are things of beauty. And one thing I want to kind of start to throw it out there is Dostoevsky, who's the, the author of Crime and Punishment and of Brother Karamazov, he said, beauty will save the world. And uh, I think one of the things we've learned from the Pew Research and just kind of the conversation of people who are outside the church, have left the church, one of the things that could draw them back is beauty. And so I think this is an important conversation to have. And so we want to start out with that a little bit. Um, and let's, let's, let's just talk about that a little bit, Mary. Um, and I'm just going to kind of go around. So Mary, when, I, when you hear that word beauty, will, that phrase, beauty will save the world, Anything come to mind? 
Well, first of all, what do, what do you mean by beauty? I think that's the biggest question. That, that word kind of gets floats around, and you often hear, like, um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But that's not quite all of it, is it? Um, so if we start, so on a philosophical level, which I know it's early, so get your coffee, so <laughs> metaphysics. But, so we would say property, or uh, beauty is a property of being. So just like oneness, truth, goodness, um, and we would call those the transcendentals. Be a little bit technical this morning. Can you explain the yeah. word transcendental? So a little it bit? means to trans, to trans, go beyond, basically. So we would say, and Saint Thomas Aquinas kind of uh, related these principles to to God, where he said, "Well, God is beauty. He is beauty. He's the source of beauty, truth, goodness, oneness." So it's outside of me. It doesn't matter if I say, "Well, I don't think God is beautiful." God is beautiful. He is beauty. So it's not related to me. Okay, so, but there's also a subjective element to that of how I, how I respond to beauty, how I respond to music, how I respond to art. Now, it could be my own perception is flawed, you know, by my own experience, um, but it's still how I respond to it. And that's where we get the term beauty is in the eye of beholder. So it is both objective, it's a feature of what we're looking at or hearing, and subjective of, of our response to it. Patrick, your thoughts? Uh, agree, and I think I maybe just add on to that. I think it was uh, Pope St. John Paul II that said, uh, beauty is the splendor of truth. And so when we see something that is beautiful, it's something that reveals totally what it is as it should be in its perfect creation, which is why God, as Mary says, God is beauty, because God is ex- exactly as he should be. And so when we say, you know, beauty will save the world, it means we need to be true to what is as it ought to be and in its uh, natural state. And so I, I, when I hear that phrase in particular, man, there's a whole bunch of different places I, I, I probably could go with it. Uh, but for the sake of uh, our discussion at this point, I'll just leave it there. Excellent. Dr. Hirschberger. Well, I'd add two things. Uh, number one, uh, along uh, what Mary said, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, there's also the, the phrase that says, uh, in matters of taste, there is no argument. Uh, which goes to the subjective idea that uh, you know all all of our tastes and preferences are equal, and you can't criticize my taste and I can't right. criticize yours, mm-hmm. uh, and that assumes that there isn't anything objective to uh, talk about with regard to the idea of beauty. The second thing is is that Dostoevsky, in saying uh, beauty will save the world, and that's from his novel The Idiot, and uh, it's in the person of uh, Prince Mishkin who was a rather naive fellow but uh, had, a, had a wonderful outlook on the world, is that I think what Dostoevsky is um, communicating is not, not that beauty is going to save the world in terms of salvific salvation of souls in heaven, but that beauty is a means by which the world can get beyond itself and to see beyond uh, the, the, the merely material and, and to get in some ways to the transcendental and, and uh, the first things uh, of life that we all think about. Beauty is a, as a vehicle uh, by which that can happen. So Mary, I want to bring it back to you. Um, how do we become formed in beauty per se? How, do, how does our understanding of beauty and, and what we see as beautiful become formed? That's a very good question. So uh, it would be your experience or, or putting yourself in front of beauty, basically listening to uh, music that has lasted through uh, centuries. I mean, there's been people, if you look at Canon and D, what is that, 400 and some years old, and people are still using that for their weddings? I mean, some people, I think, probably thought it was written 20 years ago. Um, that's lasted through the centuries. That's beautiful music. And the same thing with art. We've got um, 
nobody really can criticize, you know, Michelangelo, Raphael, the classics. They've lasted through time. Those are beautiful pieces and same thing with literature. So expose yourself to, to beautiful art, basically. Music, art, architecture. That starts to form you. Um, yeah, and we'll talk uh, a little more about, you know, music and, and art, but, but maybe, Dr. Hirschberger, you could talk a little bit about what are some examples of beautiful literature that people might be able to dive into? Well, um, my own personal favorite um, um, is uh, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, but I'd also have to throw in Charles Dickens and um, Shakespeare. Um, there's something about good literature that leads us to think about, to think beyond ourselves, um, because good literature always draws us into those first things. You know, who am I? What is my purpose? What is life all about? And even literature that doesn't necessarily uh, direct us to Jesus Christ as the second person of the Trinity, uh, good literature can, can lead someone to think about what life really means. And that's a very small step into thinking about the existence of God um, and how God uh, comes down to us in the person of Christ. You know, it's a, let's take this to a level of Pope John Paul the Great or St. Saint John Paul II, the Great, however you want to say that. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, I can't say it today. Um, and Patrick, maybe you can speak to this. You know, his, his theology of the body actually is kind of comes right into play with art and how we're a reflection of our creator. Um, how does that apply to, you know, how, how have you experienced that in, in the music that you work with? Certainly. I mean, there's, when you're talking about what's a good piece of music, what makes that up, right, right away, there's, there's got to be some element of personal taste in there, you know, as, as soon as that comes into play. But as Mary said, there are pieces that have lasted the test of time, and there's reasons for that, because they reflect that true beauty and that true goodness, and it's authentic. And so I think when, you know, we talk like uh, theology of the body, really all that is is just bringing us back to what we were intended to be as we were created. And that is beautiful, because it's true. And uh, like I said before, if, if truth is the, um, or if beauty is the splendor of truth, well, then we have to go back to what is something as it ought to be and what is it in its creative um, intent. And so when we go back to who are we as human beings, what is our dignity, where does our value come from, comes from our creator, well, that's something that gives us our, our, our purpose and our beauty. So when it comes to something of you know, beautiful music, you know, I, obviously there's certain things that uh, at a certain level it is about taste, it is about your exposure to what kind of things you have seen and understood, but when you get to something that's particularly beautiful um, in a transcendental way, it's something that's just simply true and good, and it's, it's the full truth that you can see in it. And, you know, in, in the Theology of the Body, one of the lines that was kind of seemed um, scandalous to me is Pope John Paul II to always say, make becoming more human. Now, when I think of becoming more human, I, I say, well, you know, that's human beings. So we're flawed. So we're going to make mistakes and, and we're, you know, we have a darkened will and, and intellect. And, but he's talking about becoming more human is actually being more like Adam and Eve before the fall. So how, you know, in that sense, how can music, how can art, how can literature draw us back to being more human in that original man sense um, and now, actually, I'll, I'll take a quote here right from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Actually, this is paragraph 2501. Uh, Indeed, art is a distinctively human form of expression. 
beyond the search for the necessities of life, which is common to all living creatures. Art is a freely given superabundance of the human being's inner riches. Okay, so let's go to original man, inner riches um, that were there before the fall. And art is a, a superabundance. So it's, it's kind of a sense of it's not necessary because it's, it's, it's a, a search for the necessities of life which are common to all, all creatures, but it's a superabundance. So it's, it's distinctively beyond the mundane of life and takes us into the transcendental, right, to a degree. Right. But how does that, how, does, how can art inform us of original man? Dr. Ishray, get thoughts on it? Yeah, sure. Well, J.R.R. Tolkien said uh, that uh, human beings are sub-creators because we are made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, God the creator, he has given us the ability on a human level to create. And that creation reflects the creativity of God. It seems to me that whether we're dealing with art, architecture, literature, music, uh, poetry, drama, that we create uh, these wonderful ideas and this wonderful beauty. And as Patrick talked about, it's, uh, uh, and Mary talked about standing the test of time, when something is really, truly beautiful and of substance, people want it, and it endures beyond the creator, uh, the, the human creator uh, himself or herself, and enters the canon, so to speak. Um, and something that's in the canon is uh, something to pay attention to. That means it has lasting value. And that takes us back to the inner abundance of riches that God has given us. And if we are in tune, if we are... Um, you know, in a state of grace and can, can uh, tap into that as creative human beings, we can create things of lasting value that speak to other people. If you're just tuning in this morning, this is Real Presence Live. We're having a wonderful discussion with Mary Hanbury, Dr. Jay Hirschberger, and Patrick McGuire about if beauty can save the world and, and talking about what beauty in itself is. We are going to head to a quick break and come back on the other side We'll talk about are there things that are appropriate as far as sacred music, sacred art, especially in our churches? Are there things that are inappropriate? That's a discussion we'll get into right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. We have all lost someone to the reality of death, some more tragic than others. I'm Father Chris Alar. While grieving is a natural process, it helps if you know how to navigate your way through it. As my friend Sammy Wood says, 
You can never get over a tragic loss, but you can get through it. Come to know the stages of grief, which are acute, integrated, and complicated grief. Seek help whenever needed, either from a friend or especially from medical professionals. There is no shame in asking for help. Remember, Jesus accepted the help of his followers while bearing the weight of the cross on his way to Calvary. Don't go it alone. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision provides eye exams for the whole family and specialty services like vision therapy and custom contact lenses. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Moto Eyewear, which gives away a pair of glasses to a child in need for every frame sold. We are so grateful for your support and grateful to be supporting RPR. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Hey, everyone. Thanks for staying with us here on Real Presence Live. We are glad to be with you. And we are having a wonderful discussion this morning about beauty. So, you know, it's a Monday morning. We've got our coffee. We're sitting there listening. And and what's better, Steve, uh, than to talk about beauty to start the week? Yeah, I think it's a good place to start. It might be a might be a deep subject on a Monday morning when you have a fog rolling through your brain. But actually, I think sometimes talking about transcendentals, uh, having fog in your brain is a good place to be because that's where it brings us. And so if you have, you know, may, maybe at a certain point here, well, I, I would invite you to actually join with us in prayer on this, on this topic because true beauty is really, and a search for true beauty is a search for God. And so that's where we're going to find it. And so as you're, you know, listening, uh, you know, I invite you to pray uh, and also pray for us so that we uh, say the words that the Holy Spirit would have us say during this conversation. Um, I'd like to start out this next uh, 15 minutes here with uh, another quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, again, paragraph 2501, uh, talking on truth, beauty, and sacred art. So, to the extent that it is inspired by truth and love of beings, art bears a certain likeness to God's activity in what he has created. Like any other human activity, art is not an absolute end in itself, but is ordered to and ennobled and ennobled by the ultimate end of man. So let's talk a little bit here about ends and means, right? So it says here, art is not an absolute end in itself. Um, it's also not saying it's a means. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Mary, can you talk, give us a little bit of an understanding of uh, ends, how, you know, an end versus a mean, is, is, is art an end in itself or is it a means to an end? <laughs> yeah, well, um, Art is, it depends what you mean. Are you looking like painting images, music? I mean, it's all kind of a... Sure. A little bit. So, <laughs> okay, so in painting, we would say it's a reflection of. So when I look at a, a sacred painting, let's say an image of um, the sacred heart of Jesus, it's not Jesus in the wood that I look at or in the canvas, but it's it's sort of like a, a way that I can... I can bring Jesus to me in my imagination and start to pray through that 
and and then it becomes this sort of spiritual connection, as it will. And so, is that so, the difference between making? A, I mean, some people would say you're making a graven image, Mary, because right. you're worshiping. So we're not worshiping. We're not the worshiping. Art. Yeah, and oftentimes that comes into play with icons. There was a bit, you know, during the early church, there was a huge. We had this iconoclasm. They they got rid of all the the sacred art. And when they say when I say icon, um, that icon is Greek for image, so it just means all the the images that were because of of that precise problem is because worshiping a false false gods and false images. And the early church was very concerned about this. And so they went through a period of getting rid of the art until we had early church fathers come in and explain that, no, we are not, Jesus is not in the canvas or he's not in the piece of wood. Um, it's an image. And we can, we can bring that image to mind and we can pray with that. And, and that, is good, that is a good. Absolutely. Do you have a thought on that, Dr. Hirschberger? Yeah. Um, the uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition, of course, uh, is filled with uh, uh, icons of various kinds. And in the tradition of, of um, iconography, uh, the iconographers, they refer to it as writing an icon. Not painting an icon, but writing an icon. Because an icon is a way of taking us beyond ourselves to uh, the person that we're reflecting upon. Um, and so in, in the sort of Eastern Orthodox mystical tradition, the writing of an icon <clears throat> is kind of viewed as a as a, another means of of scripture, as another way of God communicating to us uh, the truth, goodness, and beauty of 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 Jesus, of the Theotokos, uh, as they refer to our Blessed Mother, to uh, the saints of of various kinds, and so iconography is uh, is a way of reminding us visually um, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses uh, who cheer us on um, and pray for us and intercede for us. Well, and just for a note, uh, in the next hour, we're going to have an icon writer here to talk about writing an cool. icon, um, Doreen Canelli. so stay tuned for that. And a quick note, Theotokos is Greek for God-bearer which is a phrase that was used, I believe, in, the, in Nicaea 325. Is that when? Uh, Chalcedon, I believe. Chalcedon, okay. Yeah, and that was yeah. uh, St. Anselm <laughs> who he was coined that up, phrase? Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's Greek yeah. for bearer of God. I think it's St. Anselm. Yeah. But a great, uh, a great uh, and I believe that the phrase came in response to the Arian heresy. Maybe I'm getting my stuff mixed well, up. Part of, it, uh, part of it was is that um, to refer uh, to Jesus or to refer to our Blessed Mother as the Mother of God. Mm -hmm. It was the controversy about um, that, that, that uh, our Blessed Mother bore Jesus in his human nature right. only. And so it wouldn't be proper to refer to her as the Mother of God because God can't be born. And uh, I think it was the Council of Chalcedon that, that dealt with that and said, no, um, she is the bearer of God because the divine and, uh, and human nature of Christ uh, uh, were... Uh, in her womb, she was the one who brought forth the God-Man. Excellent. And I'll I'll check up my check my sources in the back of the Catechism, folks, because that's where you can find the stuff. Patrick, you had a thought. Yeah, just going back to what art does for us as a means to the end. You know, I can pray anywhere, right? God is in all places. We can find God. I can pray in the car on the way to work. I can be, you know, in a warehouse. I could be at the grocery store. I could pray anytime. There's no limit on that. But when I go into a sacred space and there is sacred art, sacred architecture, and things like that, that just 
put me as, as somebody who has ADHD. I like having things that help me focus a little bit. Um, and now having a little child of my own, I'm starting to find, you know, if, if I'm needing something to help calm her down, giving her something to look at even at only four months old. I mean, you look at the statue inside some of these churches and she's just kind of transfixed looking at St. Joseph holding the baby. It's mm. like, wow, this is something that's beautiful. Even a little baby can realize. But there, there's something about the art as being a means to help us center our minds and bring us into that place of prayer and then the work, of course, done by Christ uh, working with us. But it's never the, the art itself that does that, but it helps us to get to that point. If you're just tuning in this morning, this is Real Presence Live. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Clark, joined by Steve Splonskowski. We're visiting with Mary Hanbury, Dr. Jay Hirschberger, and who you were just listening to, Patrick McGuire, talking about sacred art and uh, what it is and you know how we can come to more fully appreciate truth, beauty, and goodness in uh, in art and <clears throat> you know steve you you read a paragraph when we returned from break in in the catechism and and one of the things that stuck out to you but also stuck out to me was was the phrase to the extent um and i think i want to transition into you know i had i had mentioned before the break you know talking about appropriateness so are there things that are appropriate or inappropriate for let's just say even in our churches when it comes to sacred music and sacred art so one of the things that that comes to mind would be nakedness. So Steve was talking about in uh, Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, he, the, the phrase, more fully man. We understand that Adam and Eve, before the fall, were in the garden, they, and they were naked and unashamed. And so, Mary, I'll just start this question to you. Is there an appropriateness to nakedness in art uh, that would be in a church or or be... Um, in a, a religious space, so as to draw us to the beauty of the original nakedness. Okay, so well, there's there's actually two parts to that. So first, let's talk about maybe um, nakedness in art in general. So we think about the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo, many of those figures, if you have not been there, are naked. Uh, the sculpture of David by Michelangelo, uh, there's plenty of Paintings. I can't think of a one offhand, but anyway, those so portraying man, woman, being naked in in a way that reflects the divine, the human, the beauty of the the human person. That is a, a good, but on the same time, um, there can be ways of doing that are, that are inappropriate. So, for example, um, showing nakedness in maybe an a pose that's more suggestive or things like that. And we've seen that with Titian back in his work and things like that, where you look at that and go, okay, the woman's naked, but oh, there's something kind of lustful about the way she's posing or, or this or that. So there's, there's that aspect as well. Uh, but in church, it's kind of a different story. So in, if you're putting, let's say, Adam and Eve is kind of the classic, where you're putting them like front and center, plain naked, just standing there, that's going to distract people through the mass, that's inappropriate. There's a way to do a nakedness, if we're talking about Adam and Eve, where they still can be behind a tree or covered, where it's not going to be distracting to the liturgy. So, so in that aspect, yes. And you had some thoughts on that, Patrick. Yeah, I, I think what you're talking about with the posture, like what, what, how is it presented? I mean, if the focal point of a, a piece of art is the nakedness itself, then it certainly has no place in the church it, right, yeah. because it, it just distracts exactly as you say from from the mass. But if if the purpose is just to show, as we talked about earlier, the human being in its primal form, its primitive, true, creative form, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it's just about the presentation, as Mary said. 
Did you have anything to add, Dr. Hirsch? Sure. Well, uh, Mary mentioned the Sistine Chapel, um, and uh, one of the most interesting moments of that um, is uh, uh, there is uh, one particular uh, section where you see this very, very prominent gluteus maximus uh, prominently displayed. And, of course, Michelangelo was making reference to uh, Moses asking to see the glory of God. And he says, well, you can't see my glory and, and live. But I can show you my hind parts. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll uh, show you my hind parts. And so Michelangelo, I think, was was maybe using a bit of humor to uh, uh, p- point us to the fact that that we can think of of God in a way that uh, that causes us to realize that we are made in the image of God, and He made us body and soul, and that's good. That's not bad. It's only after the fall with the entrance of concupiscence where uh, we, we can look at nakedness and if the nakedness is presented in a way that's, that's erotic or titillates, that's inappropriate in any context. But on the other hand, um, we can celebrate uh, the humanness that God gave us in the statue of, of David by Michelangelo. If you just joined us, we're talking about sacred art. We're talking about music literature, art within the church, um, and talking about what the origins of that, the philosophical under, underpinnings of what is true art. And so uh, we're visiting here with uh, Mary Hanbury and Dr. Jay Hirschberger and Patrick McGuire. I'm here with Brandon Clark, and uh, we're going to continue this discussion on the side of the break. But as we go over the break here, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is art something that comes from out from inside us? Or is art something that comes from the outside? So is art an internal thing or is it an external thing? And, and what does that mean? Think about the, own, the art in your own life, the music you listen to, the art you have on your wall. What does it say about you and what, is it, what does it reflect to the world as people walk into your office, into your home, um, into the places that you uh, inhabit? This is Real Presence Live and uh, we're going to be back on just the other side of the break, so don't go anywhere. Live. Engaging and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through Plan Giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. 
Let's get started. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're glad to be with you this morning, and we're glad you stayed with us over the break. If you missed any of our conversation so far this morning with Mary, Patrick, and Dr. Hirschberger, you can find the podcast later today on realpresenceradio.com. You can also find it available on the Real Presence Radio app. I definitely want to encourage you to check it out. We've been having a beautiful discussion on, on what beauty is, uh, and then talking about sacred art and what role sacred art should have in our, our lives. You know, and um, so Steve has been mentioning a couple paragraphs from the catechism, and there, there's another one here that he found just talking more about sacred art. And we're going to dive into, in this next half hour, some examples of sacred art. So we're going to listen to a beautiful song, and then we're going to look at a a beautiful piece of art and just kind of break that down a little bit. So uh, another paragraph here in reference to sacred art in the Catechism, it's 2502, paragraph 2502. It says, sacred art is true and beautiful when it corresponds, when it's when its form corresponds to its particular vocation, evoking and glorifying in faith and adoration the transcendent mystery of God, the surpassing invisible beauty of truth and love visible in Christ, who reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, in whom the whole fullness of its deity dwells bodily. This spiritual beauty of God is reflected in the most holy virgin mother of God, the angels and the saints. Genuine sacred art draws man to adoration, to prayer, and to the love of God, creator and savior, the holy one and sanctifier. So we posed the question to you before the break to kind of, in reference, does the art come from inside or does it come from the outside? And of course the answer is, as a good Catholic, both. <laughs> but there's an order to this, right, Mary? So what's right. the order? Well, yeah. So the order is, is let's say I have a, a sacred image in front of me of um, Jesus, the sacred heart of Jesus. And so I gaze on it and I recognize, I'm a Catholic, so I recognize this is Jesus. This is my Savior. And so that, that in itself is a prayer because you would say that God is initiating initiating my response. He's sort of called me. He sort of got my attention to even look at this at this beautiful image, okay? And so he initiates, and I respond to that initiation of love and gaze on this image of Jesus' sacred heart. And then from there, it, it takes me into a prayer, basically, and I express my love back through gazing at this image. So simply, 
So we have to receive right. first right. and receive true understanding of what art is before we can create art. Yeah. So Patrick, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's, it has to start with an understanding intellectually of what it is you're looking at. As Mary said right at the onset, it has to, you have to understand what you're looking at. If you present Christ to someone who has not met Christ yet, you have to explain to them who Christ is and why it's important, maybe a statue or perhaps the crucifix itself, what is important about that image, right? We understand it as Catholics, you know, okay, well, this is the cross which Christ was crucified, died for our sins, and okay, all this stuff, we understand that, but you have to go through all of that before someone could understand the beauty in the image. But then further, the image itself has to reflect the true beauty in what the action was. It can't be this kind of uh, ethereal, unclear, artistic representation or a different idea of what it was that's not truthfully displaying what the crucifix is. And so there's there's multiple layers to it. And so that's why when we're going into a conversation on what is beautiful, we can't just say, well, intellectually, it's here. Well, there's also the heart. Well, we can't say, oh, it's all about the heart right, because right. there's an intellectual piece. <laughs> you have to, as you say, the, the good old Catholic both and. It, it's got to have everything uh, all, all wrapped up in there. Dr. Hershberger. Well, I think also if we think about human creativity, um, you know, God equips uh, various individuals in history with creative gifts. And that is certainly something that comes from without, uh, uh, from the Lord himself. Um, but then the response of the, of the uh, artist is to uh, take that gift and to use it to create. Um, and it's interesting that human beings who create can create works of beauty that lead beyond uh, themselves even if they aren't necessarily the, uh, the the most morally wonderful people, I mean, we we can think in his in music history of composers who, you know, led uh, you know rather dissolute lives, <laughs> but yet they created music that uh, stands apart from their own personal uh, disposition and uh, leads us to to think beyond ourselves it, it, to to wonder at at the the beauty of music but of course you know the best uh, way of, of thinking about it is is the christian artist who receives that gift from god and then gives back and particularly in the form of music that can be used um in the holy sacrifice of the mass and patrick you know i, I like when you're referencing the crucifix how you brought up the the mind and the heart, right? Because uh, I've just seen this in my own spiritual journey. Like I know what the crucifix rec represents, and in my heart, to to a degree, I do. But as I grow closer to God, as I grow in my faith and my understanding, that crucifix starts to mean a lot more. So, you know, if if somebody's listening this morning who sees the crucifix as beautiful, but maybe it's not like. You walk into a, a, a parish and and it's like it's it's moving beyond all else in 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 the church. You know that that's okay. There, you were talking about layers. There, there's there's opportunities to grow to experience that deeper conversion. I don't know if you want to mention just a little bit about that. Yeah, I, for my own self, I'll, I'll join you here in my <laughs> spiritual journey. You know, I, I I've always felt like that my my journey in faith has been a very heavy intellectual one and where I've struggled is that piece of the heart is really not only uniting my mind to what I see and comprehend and understand, but uniting my heart to what it is and getting that full beautiful truth 
inside of me and uniting myself to Christ in that way. And that, as you say, it has layers. It's not something that you can accomplish in a day, a week, a month. It takes a lifetime of continually working towards the goal of uh, of loving and understanding who God is and, and what uh, what he presents to us, um, whether that's in the church or, or anywhere else. Yeah. We are going to transition here. We have about five minutes before the break. We were mentioning we were going to bring out some examples of beautiful music, beautiful art. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring you a, a piece of music. And Steve, you can talk a little bit about what this piece is. Uh, and then um, Dr. Hirschberger and Patrick are going to break it down for us. Yeah, so we want to give you an example of a song that you might have heard in your church, you might not have, um, that, uh, and if you haven't, you should talk to your choir director about doing it. It's a beautiful piece. Is there, a, should we give a precursor to it, Dr. Hirschberger? Do we just want to talk about all of it afterwards we play? Or, Let's listen. Okay, so Eli, if you want to cue up that, uh, Obone Yesu is the song. You just heard O Bone Yesu, which is a, a beautiful hymn that you may have heard in your church. Um, Dr. Hirschberger, Patrick, talk to us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about this song. What are we hearing here? Well, uh, the literal translation of the Latin is, O oh, good Jesus, have mercy on us. Because you created us, you have redeemed us with your most precious blood. Very simple, but to the point. Mm -hmm. yeah. In terms of just musical aesthetic, one thing I studied while I was uh, uh, in college was something called musical topic theory, which is essentially the study of why music makes us feel the way that we feel. And so in this one, for example, you could maybe, um, with that text that you just read there, there's a longing. There's a longing in there. And so a lot of what the composer has done here is they've put in these... Um, arching lines. You hear a lot of arching phrases where notes are held out across a certain period of time, which creates this texture of suspension and resolution. And so there's this musical feeling of longing that's put in there that reflects what the text is. So one of the first things when you ever have a piece of sacred music is that the music has to reflect the text and it has to represent in some way musically what the text is giving. There's a great example of that here. And of course, the composer was uh, Giovanni Palestrina who was probably the preeminent uh, uh, Catholic composer in the Renaissance and um, uh, uh, in the Counter-Reformation and the Council of Trent, uh, he sort of exemplified um, what uh, sacred art in, in church should be with regard to music and, and wrote some wonderful pieces that, that were as a result of that Counter-Reformation. 
In, in terms of dynamics, and I heard a couple of things that stood out to me. There was a couple of things where different people moved on different notes at yeah. different times. That struck me. And then there was this emphasis on sanguine. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a mm-hmm. crescendo. Is mm-hmm. that the... So what... It, what is he trying to do there? Yeah. Well, um, as, as Patrick said, uh, music uh, is, 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 a, is a means of musical painting of the text. And, and there is always, uh, when, we, when we speak of, of a musical phrase, we speak of two terms. We speak of arsis and thesis. And um, an arsis is a, a movement toward an emphasis uh, uh, in the phrase, and thesis is the resolution or the relaxation. And so you can take that whole thing of, of Oboniezu, uh, and everything moves to that word sanguinic blood, and then the resolution. In other, in other words, the salvation comes to rest. Uh, I think that's one of the significant things about this short but wonderful piece of music. So as people are listening to music within their church, you know, and of course joining in, of course, as you can, um, are there things that they can do to, to draw this from worship, you know, have the worship at Mass to draw them deeper into relationship at the, at, of the Eucharist and as, you know, the songs that we're, we're singing at Mass? Or even, you know, there could be a lot of people listening who have no musical training and they're picking music for their church because they're the best volunteer for that. What kind of direction could you give them, Patrick? Let's start with the text. Anything that you're doing liturgically, it has to start with the text. It has to be an appropriate text that fits in with what is happening in the liturgy, right? So you're not going to have, um, you know... So when, when you're going to communion, you don't want to have a song um, that, that doesn't reflect what is happening with, with the Eucharist there. A Eucharistic hymn is appropriate at communion because that's what's happening, something of the offertory, well, something that represents what's happening in the offertory. So that's a whole other conversation to get into. But start with the text that reflects what's happening, and that's always the first sure bet where to go. And then as you're listening, listen to the different movements in the song, especially some of these classic pieces. There's a meaning to it. And of course, I'm part of Dr. Hirschberger's choir, and so he's teaching us this all the time. But just I'm blown away by the dynamics and what they mean within the song. Yeah, and you know, for those who are in the pew, right, and, and they're listening, and maybe they've never heard anything like this at their, at their church, so, so what they're hearing is something that is foreign. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's foreign. Um, any advice, Dr. Hirschberger, for when they do come across something like this, how can they experience it? What, what can they do to take it in, to um, just learn to uh, appreciate its beauty? Well, uh, to be formed is repetition over and over again, you know? And if you come across something that strikes you, but you're unfamiliar with it, listen multiple times, you know? And that like, goes back to that intellect understanding. Mm-hmm. You can't understand something that's beautiful if you don't know what mm-hmm. it is. So that yeah. repetition to yeah. learn it. Yeah. To, to just simply uh, ultimately get to the point where it comes inside of you. And by process, you begin to, oh, oh man, that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Oh, Wow. Okay, I hadn't thought about that. If you just joined us, you're listening to Real Presence Live, and we're talking about sacred art. And uh, we just run just a little bit over our break, so we're going to take a quick break here and uh, take a breather and let you grab some coffee because you don't want to miss the conversation. Why don't you go to our, our Facebook page, a Real Presence Radio Facebook page. There's a picture on there of sacred art that we're going to talk about. On the other side of this break, don't go anywhere. It's Real Presence Live. We'll be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, 
and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. This is Jake Warner, the State Deputy of the North Dakota Knights of Columbus. I was asked to explain if someone were to come to me and and ask why should they become a Knight of Columbus. I can answer from my my own experience, uh, and that would be um, becoming a Knight of Columbus has made me a better Catholic. It's made me a better uh, husband. It's made me a better father. It's made made me a better man. There are so many things about the Knights of Columbus that young men are really looking for, and and they don't understand it's just as close as as their local church. Becoming a part of of the Knights of Columbus local council uh, opens up so many doors for you. In a society where people are known to be loners and going their own way and, and trying to figure out what's going on around them, the Knights of Columbus provides you a family, people that you can go to, resources that you can reach out to, ask questions of, get encouragement from, uh, not only spiritual encouragement, but, but all kinds of things. As a sole provider, the needs of my growing family are something I pray for daily. I know continuing my education will benefit my family in the end, but I worry about what I'll miss while doing so. University of Mary knows that choosing to continue your education at this point in life can be both challenging and rewarding. That's why we've created a robust portfolio of truly affordable, truly flexible, and truly formative online programs to make choosing easy. Visit us at catholicprofessional.life. That's dot L-I-F-E. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. We're glad to be with you. We're having a wonderful discussion this morning with Dr. Jay Hirschberger, Patrick McGuire, and Mary Hanbury about beauty. And before the break, we listened to a beautiful piece of music called O Bone Yesu, and Patrick and Dr. Hirschberger were breaking it down. And, you know, it's a very wonderful, deep discussion. But, uh, you know, Steve and I, we like to have fun when we host. And Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be us hosting if we didn't get some form of comedy or a joke in there. And you were telling us about a t-shirt that the choir gave you at the cathedral. Can you tell us a little bit about sure. that? Uh, yeah. um, the cathedral choir gave me a Christmas present. It was a t-shirt. And at the top of the t-shirt, it, it, it's basically a conversation between all parts of the choir. The director says, there was a mistake. The sopranos say, it was the altos. The altos say, it, it was us. The tenors say, there was a mistake. And the basses say, what page are we on? <laughs> hey, what's really funny about that is Patrick was sitting over there. He's like, it's true, it's true. It <laughs> yeah, is. It totally is. I'm a proud accept. tenor. I, I assure you. I don't know what the mistake was. <laughs> and as a bass, I still have no idea what page <laughs> you're on. So. You're probably not even on the right song, let's be honest. <laughs> and I sit in the pew and I notice nothing. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, one thing, uh, before we move on to the sacred art piece that's on Facebook, again, if you didn't did catch that, if you go to Real Presence Radio Facebook page, there's a piece of art there, um, the Entombment by Caravaggio. We're going to talk about it in a second, but I just want to talk a little bit about 
uh, dissonance. What is the role of dissonance in music, Dr. Hirschberger? Uh, dissonance is two notes that seem to clash. They don't, they don't seem to harmonize well. And they are important moments in music because we have tension and resolution, just like we have tension and resolution in life. So if you had a piece of music that had no dissonance in it and had only what we would call consonance or total harmony, um, it would be extremely boring. <laughs> and, you know, so dissonance comes in to move the music forward and to give meaning to the idea of tension and resolution. Um, and that's, that's the essence of why dissonance is important. Just as all consonants would be uh, not good, all dissonance would also be not good. And, and there's a lot of modern music that, <laughs> for which they try to be just dissonant. Mm -hmm. And it becomes an, an exercise of the intellect only, I think. Absolutely. Very good. All right, so the next piece we're going to talk about here, we're going to turn to Mary Hanbury and kind of take apart a piece of artwork. This is uh, on our Facebook page, uh, The Entombment by Caravaggio. And uh, just kind of an exercise of here of looking at a piece of art and trying to understand it a little better. So Mary, walk us through this uh, piece of art. Okay, so let me describe it first for those of you who can't uh, see it on Facebook. It is, or if you want to look it up on Google, it's Caravaggio's The Entombment of Christ, sometimes called The Disposition as well. So what we have here is um, a group of people, and so they are is Nicodemus and John the Evangelist and Mary Magdalene and Our, and Our Lady and Mary of, of Klepos, and they had just brought Jesus down from the cross, and they are they are uh, holding him, but they're kind of like bringing him down onto a slab of stone, and so. In this, uh, if you if you picture the Pieta by Michelangelo, how Mary is holding Jesus, he's kind of draped over her, so he's kind of in the same pose here. He's 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 kind of in that being dropped down, and his, his arm is is touching the slab of stone too. So Caravaggio painted this in the early 1600s. Um, this is a piece that was meant for a church in Rome, Chiesanova, uh, is right off uh, by the Vatican. And pilgrims would stop there before they would cross the bridge and go to St. Peter's. There, uh, right now, today, it, the original is in the Vatican Museums, and they have a copy back where that where it was supposed to be, originally for a side chapel in Chiesanova. And so this picture is actually uh, very Eucharistic. So this would be a painting that would be appropriate over an altar. How is it Eucharistic, you'd say? Okay, well, first of all, we have, if you picture this right over the altar... Uh, and then you picture that the beautiful music we just heard in the background. Okay, mm -hmm. this kind of makes it all. So as the priest is elevating the host right in the middle there, your eyes go up to gaze on our Lord and the, and the Eucharist and the host. And meanwhile, the body of Christ is coming down onto the altar. Okay, so, and we see this, this very distinctly, and you probably all notice it, but um, Nicodemus is very striking in this in this picture. Why? Because he's looking directly at you. Naturally, he should be looking at what he's doing of bringing Jesus down on the, on the slab of stone there, but he's looking at you directly. And that's to bring you into the picture. It's supposed to bring you, you're part of the scene. What are you going to do about this scene? But then we have, <clears throat> excuse me, this plant at the very bottom. It's hard to see because Caravaggio works in, um, it's called Tenebrum, but it's very dark. But this plant represents life. 
And so the, the white cloak or the um, loincloth of Jesus drapes down and touches the plant. And so the plant then represents life as that life then streams up and comes back into the body. And of course, he's raised from the dead. Um, then, then you can also look at the different characters in there. You have Mary Magdalene in the back there. Her hands are kind of wild. Um, Our Lady is very composed. Uh, John, the evangelist, if you look at his hand, he's got his hand wrapped around the body, like he's helping to put the body down, but his fingers are in the wound, the side, the side wound of Christ, where the blood and water poured out, also very Eucharistic. So the, the blood coming out out of our Lord, as you're sitting there with Mass, looking at the chalice being held up as well. Um, and then the light source, too. You can do lots of different things with the light source, how it just bathes uh, Christ um, even the forehead of Nicodemus, I was praying about that. You know, Nicodemus had that, that conversion. Uh, it, it was in his mind first. Usually it's in our mind first and it moves down to our heart, but his forehead is, uh, is lit there. It's bright. So we think about his own conversion as he uh, walked towards the light. If you just joined us, we're talking about the entombment by Caravaggio. And if you go to the Real Presence Radio Facebook page, there's a picture there, or you can just look it up on the internet, the entombment by Caravaggio. Um, and Mary's going through this this picture, and we actually just heard this song, O Bone Yesu. So I'm going to encourage you, a little challenge here. Um, I want you later today to go onto the internet, pull up the song, O Bone Yesu, pull up this, this picture by Caravaggio, or actually go back to this podcast, and sit there and meditate on this, because right now I'm just being blown away. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, that's Caravaggio. We're talking about sacred art here on Real Presence Live, and I just want to thank Dr. Hirschberger and Patrick McGuire and Mary Hamburg for being with us this hour. Um, it's been a great conversation. It's been absolutely wonderful. And and, and Mary, you, uh, I know you know this, the, the first epistle of St. John, where one of the first things he says is, that which we have seen, which we have heard with our ears, which our hands have touched. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, of uh, our Lord Jesus and that picture of him grasping the body of Christ and touching the wound just brings that scripture to life. Right, yeah. <clears throat> Go Sorry. Ahead. <laughs> I was just wondering if you, if you had any reflections on, so we can see most everybody in the, the image with, with light on them, but, but not as much on, on John. Do, do you have any reflections on why John might be a little darker? You know, it's interesting. A little bit of his face is in the lights, like his nose um, and his red cloak, which is it stands out quite strikingly in the picture. And I, I haven't really, you know, there's probably something if you prayed about that. Um, he's just he's just not going to be the center of this. It's not where Caravaggio wants you to focus on. You, you always focus on the light. And so the light here is Christ with that, with the, the white uh, loincloth. Um and so, yeah, just yeah. I don't think there's anything particular about. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time again, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Uh, Hirschberger, Dr. J. Hirschberger, um, Patrick McGuire, and Mary Hambury. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And again, folks, go back and pull this up on the on the web at the Entombment by Caravaggio and Oboni Yesu. We've been talking about the beauty of Catholic Church, of the Catholic Church and Sacred Art. Um, and we're going to go a little deeper. Why don't we have some wine, too? So we're going to get some uh, wine in here, maybe? No, I guess that's going to happen. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit. Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> we're it's definitely talk about... past noon in Rome. Uh-huh. <laughs> On the other side of the break, we're going to visit with uh, Doreen Canelli and Jean Epler about icon, iconography, writing an icon. So we'll be right back. <laughs> 